unless you want to like rotate things in and out. Um, if you've not been here, we've been in a, a four-week series called Barrier Breaking Faith, um, centered on Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, uh, defines faith. Now, faith is confidence of what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see, right? It's about promises, and it's about future, and it's about God working, and all that kind of stuff, and it's exciting. We begin today, though, looking at Hebrews chapter 11, verse 30, uh, and I want to read that for you. It says, now, the operative phrase is the first phrase, by faith. Not by militaristic strategy, not by power and might of people, but by faith, the walls of Jericho fell. After the army had marched around them for seven days, by faith, the walls of Jericho fell. Now, Joshua, if you don't know the story, the famous you know, story, many people do know it, Joshua 6, 1 through 20 outlines this weird how, story, how Jericho fell, this uncanny sort of uh, plan where God uh, calls Joshua to have the Israelites march around the city s- six times, six days quietly, and then the seventh day they walk around and they blow their trumpets and they shout and the walls come tumbling down. And it's a great story, but it's a little too lengthy to read this morning. Um, I've been going long lately, so I've been kind to you. But it ends in verse 20 saying, when the trumpets shout- sounded, the army shouted, and at the sound of the trumpet and when the men gave a loud shout, the wall collapsed. So everyone charged straight in, and they took the city. Now, I think this is a much more uh, humane way to do this, because they're going to take this city. It was probably much less of a bloodless, it was probably much more of a bloodless battle. People just gave up, gave in. The walls are down. There's nothing they can do about it, right? Um, We start today, though, a little bit before chapter 6, in chapter 5, verse 13, since it is much more interesting. Uh, I like this passage. This is a really cool passage. Uh, uh, story. But just to set the stage, Joshua is standing there in this battlefield before the walls of Jericho. They're like looming before him, right? And it's a formidable city in which Israel has to take. They have to go in and take it, right? Now, let me preface by saying, bringing it back home to us, that no matter where we go or no matter what we do in life, um, we experience seemingly insurmountable obstacles in life, don't we? We all know that, right? Personally and as a body, as the church, there will come a time when we'll look out and we'll say, how are we going to get through this wall? We face those churches, those, those walls as a church, right? We've gone through those. You, have probably, you could probably list the walls that you've faced in your life personally. And in those moments... The question today for you is, what if we had the depth of faith and the the commitment to the obedience uh, that it takes to do the impossible, to do the extraordinary, to do the crazy, the insane, to see victory in Christ? Joshua uh, 5.13 through 6.2 says this. This is really cool. It says, now when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up. And he saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. And Joshua went up to him and asked, are you for us or for our enemies? Neither, he replied, but as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. Now, I thought Joshua was commander of the army of the Lord. All right. So let's let's remember that. It's a little little weird that he says that, right? Then Joshua fell face down to the ground in reverence and asked him, what message does my Lord have for his servant? The commander of the army's lord replied, take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. Now Jericho was tightly shut up, this is chapter 6, 
tightly shut up because of the Israelites. No one went out and no one came in. Then the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have delivered Jericho into your hands, along with its king and its fighting men. Hallelujah, right? Amen. Uh, By the way, we like amens and hallelujahs here. Um, And now notice that promise right there at the end in in verse 2, which Joshua has to take on faith because they're still standing outside of the walls. The city hasn't been taken. This is voiced in the past tense. I have given you the city, right? But it's, it's voiced in the past tense, but it's still not taken yet. So it's, it's a promise that he has to take on faith. Now, Deuteronomy 128 describes the walls of Jericho as rising up to the heavens, that this was not a small place, that it was huge, it was fortified. Imagine how Joshua would have felt standing there in the field of battle, you know, which hadn't yet been waged. They haven't done anything yet. And some people wonder if he was looking down in this posture of prayer or looking down overwhelmed, you know? And we would understand either way, wouldn't we, if we were standing there? This was a formidable opponent. It was not something small. Jericho was on lockdown. They would not be controlled. They were set against Israel. They would not be controlled by Israel. They would not be controlled by its God. Other nations around them had seen the power of God that went with Israel, and they had succumbed. They had surrendered without a fight. But these guys were set in their resolve against Israel and against God. So we see right away that barrier-breaking faith uh, will have major obstacles. Barrier-breaking faith will have major obstacles. You know, Israel's history after leaving Egypt, you know, the, the captivity, was one filled with failure and this lack of faith in God, you know, the up and down, which, which accumulated in their rejection of the promised land and, and, and God's punishment for, uh, you know, of wandering in the, in the wilderness for 40 years, if you remember the stories. And they had seen these walls, right, and and these fortified cities, and they had ran from them before. And 40 years later, Joshua is leading them full circle back again to the same walls, to face these same walls, to face the same city and this test, and to test them again. And I think that is indicative of our lives, that we often, you know, they say wherever you go, there you are, right? (laughs) You know, your problems always follow you because you're the problem, right? It's It's true. We also are brought back to the same walls over and over again in our lives, consistently coming back to these walls that we we run from, we avoid in the past. And God wants for us and for our church to trust in Him more than He wants us to achieve great things for Him. He wants us to have faith to see what He can do through us, through our faith, rather than us go attacking the walls ourselves you know, beating our head against the wall, making it bloody. Joshua with his army had to overcome, and that in itself was a daunting task, to say the least. And maybe he stood there in solemn prayer, right? Surveying the task, feeling the, the impossibility of it all. I would have been. You know, he had been faithful to this point, trusting God up till now, and at this moment, it would reveal the absolute level of his faith. His true faith, right? But let me ask you, what are promises on the battlefield? What are promises good for in the face of such a formidable opponent before you? What what good is it for somebody to say to you, oh, you'll get through that? No, well, how? Right? (laughs) 
How am I going to get through that? God had promised. And notice that as the situation grew more dire, so did the proportion from which God revealed himself. And in response, Joshua had to expand his faith to barrier-breaking capacity. He had to answer to that. He had to, he had to man up to it, in a sense, right? And while looking down, Joshua was forced to then look up at this man standing in front of them with a, a drawn sword indicating that he was ready for battle, right? He's formidable, he's, he's confident, you know, he's not shy, and he's standing there before this general, Joshua, the general of the army of Israel, right? This leader of the army, and Joshua didn't shy away from him. And he goes up and he asks him, what side are you on, my side or the other side? And it's a fair question on the battlefield, isn't it? Do I got to fight you or not? And the answer is unexpected. I love the answer. He says, neither. I'm not on your side. I'm not on their side, (laughs) right? But as commander of the army of the Lord, I have come here to take over. This is my battlefield. Right? As the commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. Now, theologians believe that this man to be Jesus, a theophany, a, a, a visible manifestation of Christ for, for two reasons. One is that he accepts worship, which a created angel wouldn't have. And number two is that he's called Jehovah, or he's called Lord in chapter 6, verse 2. And he speaks with authority, and he basically says, I'm here, not here to take sides, I'm here to take over. And Joshua, to his credit recognizes something in this. He recognizes this divine authority here of whom stood before him, and he bows in worship asking, what message does my Lord have for his servant? Now, these literal walls of Jericho remind me of some of the walls that I've faced in my life, in the, 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 the insurmountable cultural and linguistic and religious law, uh, uh, walls that... Uh, Kim, Kim and I faced in Lampung, Indonesia, when we served there. I mean, when I moved there, I think it was 27 or 28, I forget. I was, I was a punk, right? How does this punk mainline kid think he's going to speak to Muslim villagers, right? How, how, you know, in South Sumatra, I'd never been there before. I'd never even been to the city that I moved to when I moved there. I knew I was going to move to Lampung. I had never been there. <clears throat> how do I speak to these guys? How could I ever make a difference? right? You know, religious walls, what did I, I I'd studied Islam some, but I never, I didn't grow up in it, right? Cultural walls, I mean, halfway around the world and halfway around the world culturally too, I was so much different than them. Just like when you look around at the culture, like, why did they do that? I don't get it, right? That's culture shock. Linguistically alone, communication was very difficult. I remember, and some of you have heard this story probably, but I remember uh, there was a single missionary woman, uh, an American woman, who had uh, moved into... (laughs) Oh, shoot, this is a funny story. Uh, She moved into Indonesia, and she went into a homestay right away. She spent her first six months in Indonesia living with this Muslim family. And as time went on, she was trying to learn language and stuff, and even after six months, you you don't know, know everything, right? You're not even close. And uh, so she's going to move out. It's six months into it, and she takes the whole family out to dinner, and they have this long table 
for this family, and, they, and, and at the other end is the father, the bapak. That's what you call, a, you, bapak means father or sir. So the bapak is sitting at the other end of the table, responsible for this whole extended family, and she's at one end, and they're in this really crowded restaurant, right? And so she wants to tell him that his humility is so great. Bapa, your humility is so great, right? That's what she wants to say. So she stands up, she raises her glass, she goes, I want to give a toast to Bapa. Bapa, Kamaluan Bapa, Basar Sakali. Basar is big, Sakali is very. So she emphasizes really big. Basar Sakali, really great. And the problem was that she took the root word malu, which means embarrassed or shy. And she thought she would, she would conjugate that and make it a noun with ka and an on either end of it. Ka malu an. The problem is that when you conjugate that, it doesn't become humility like she thought. It becomes that thing that you're embarrassed about. It becomes, Bapa, your genitals are really big. And everybody in the restaurant stopped talking and looked at the white lady from America. <clears throat> big mistake. Thankfully, they were kind to her. So, <laughs> so in, in living in that kind of a situation, you, you notice I tell a story about her and not me. I, 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 I was perfect. But, um, but in my, if my focus stayed on the problems and the issues that faced me there, it, I'd be overcome. I really would be. Only through focus on Jesus, only through that, and how he breaks down walls, and how he works through me, even though I make major mistakes, right? Can I have confidence in the face of insurmountable odds? God breaks down walls. You remember the tsunami of 2004? Um, I was living in South Sumatra, in, in one end of Sumatra, and in, in the, 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 I felt the earthquake, but the tsunami hit the north end in Aceh, the Banda Aceh, the, uh, the capital city there, and and Banda Aceh, our Aceh is the province, was closed to Christians. They would never allow Christians up there. They, would never, they, they wanted to break away from Indonesia. They wanted to be governed by Sharia law. They, they, were, they were staunch, like really whatever Muslims, you know. And, and they, they, they just didn't even like how, how the rest of Indonesia played out their Islam. And that was the place that... that that the Muslim missionaries had hit first, you know, when, when they had brought Islam to Indonesia. So it was the most staunch place. And so uh, the tsunami hit. Three days after the tsunami hit, or five days after the tsunami hit, I was up there. And I said to the military guy with a friend of mine, I said, so a week ago, if, I, if you found me up here, what would you have done to me? He goes, I would have shot you dead. <laughs> and he didn't smile. And I was like, mm, okay, All right? But the, the point is the walls came down, and we flooded Aceh with Indonesian Christian missionaries who are still there today sharing the gospel with them. Amen. The walls came down. Sometimes it has to be in such a great way, right? We have walls, though, coming back to us. We have walls we've built up to keep others out and even God out of our lives. Maybe some of us need to think in that vein today. Internal walls built up with the bricks of past hurt and past scars, and, and we continually live out of inside or, or with those walls between us and others. So how do I focus on Jesus and allow him to break down those walls and find new life? 
There are external walls that, that, that paralyze us with fear and worry. Many of us you know, are dealing with insurmountable situations in our lives. Heavy workloads, heavy class schedules, difficult relationships, finances, betrayal in our life. They are all our Jericho walls. And whether on this side of the wall or the other side of the wall, it's all the same to Jesus, isn't it? And Jesus shows up on that battlefield of our lives. And the people on the other side or the situation we face aren't really the problem. The walls might be, yes. But Joshua's gaze, notice at this point, is is on Jesus. And and all the walls don't even seem to matter anymore. All All that matters is the promise. Christ wants to bring renewal by breaking down the internal walls that we've spent so much time and effort building up. The external situations that we face are not a problem to him. They are not insurmountable to him. And Christ comes in at the very last hour sometimes, it seems like, you know, coming in on his steed, right? And in whatever situation we face, he comes in to overcome those walls in our lives. He doesn't take them away. He doesn't let us avoid them, but he dismantles them so that we can go through them. So we see that barrier-breaking faith also will require long commitment and faithful obedience. Long commitment and faithful obedience. Israel may have expected to conquer uh, Jericho in one day, but God made them to wait, right? He made them to wait. He made them to follow this sort of ridiculous pattern of marching around in silence for six days around the city and then on the seventh to shout and blow trumpets and all that stuff because they needed to learn faithful obedience. They really did. A.W. Pinks once said, it's true that divine power overthrew Jericho's walls, yet it was also by faith's obedience they fell. God had made it known that the manifestation of his power should be via a particular way. It was inseparably connected with certain actions which were to be performed by his people. So that is the vibrant relationship we have with the Holy Spirit right there, that we're actually listening and hearing and that we're actually doing what we're called to do. Not just living on the defensive, but actually living in the offensive for the kingdom of God. And obviously, God will move without us. He's God, right? He can do anything he wants. But, but he, he is much happier, and he, and he chooses to work through us. What a wonderful experience that is. What a great, adventurous life that is. He'll always, be the, you know, he'll always desire the, to be the object of our affection more than the obligation of our obedience, Right? He wants our obedience to come from the heart. He wants us to want to do this stuff, to want to be in relationship with him. But if sheer outward obedience is all that you can muster in the moment, then that is fine until you feel it. Because remember, feelings aren't facts. Feelings aren't facts. It'll take our church much longer than we want, and it'll, take, it'll require much more than we'd like to admit. To move into barrier-breaking faith, it takes practice, but God promises it is worth it. I have over my life tried to do various things that just build up faith in myself, because I need to. 
I need to exercise those muscles, so to speak. I started moving this week for the church. Man, I'm sore. I'm getting old, man. But going to stick around and help later, right? I hope, yeah. Um, but think of the feelings that must have flowed through the heart and mind of Joshua that day. Think about that. The responsibility and the fear that, you know, maybe pierced his heart. The text doesn't suggest that he succumbed to fear or uh, or that he wavered in faith at all, but as a human standing in his sandals, I might have asked the question, is God going to get me through this? Is he really there? Is he going to be on the other side of that wall? You've all asked that question. And the good news is that he's not on just this side, he's on all sides. He's on both sides, and he's tearing it down. Walls can take many forms in life. We all know that. Others may not even recognize the walls that we've built up. We disguise them well. We've spent many, many countless hours building them up strong and impenetrable. So what's your wall? Right? What's your wall? What holds you back from having barrier-breaking faith right now? What have you guarded your whole life and work hard at hiding from God and others? What's so overwhelming? Is your pride that strong? What is the one thing that you think nobody would, under, would understand about you? Is there just a lack of spiritual vitality in your walk? Do you have a, do you have a fear of failure? Being found out to be a fraud? Is life just unmanageable? Is there a wall between you and somebody else that needs to come down? Maybe you're just scared to pray over people. Maybe you're scared to share your faith. Maybe you don't actually want to do this kingdom stuff, right? Are people the enemy or is it our walls? Everyone has a wall to some extent. Some larger, some higher than others. Something we face seemingly too high and too large to overcome in our life. If, if you don't see it or feel it right now, you'll hit it someday, right? Will it always be there? Well, if we keep our eyes focused on the wall and not on Jesus, it might be. It might be. But it doesn't have to be. It doesn't have to be. We stand literally on the battlefields of our minds and our hearts right now, shot by the arrows of the evil one, laced with the poison of his lies. You're no good. You're a fraud. If they really knew you, they wouldn't like you. I can't stop this thing in my life. I I can't get control of myself in this one area of life. I can't repair my marriage. I'm ugly. I'm fat. I'm unworthy. I'll never be successful. Lies beat us down and they hold us back in our relationship with God and our relationship with others when we allow them to. 
They eat up the life that we seek, the abundant life that Christ offers us. Satan, Satan tells us how bad, how weak, how useless we are, how unworthy we are, that no one will understand our struggle, that no one really cares, pointing out the little things in somebody else's words or their, their body language and making us to assume the worst in relationships. He tells us we'll never you know, get out of debt causing strife, causing heartache in us, robbing us of faith, keeping our eyes focused on the walls, since when they are focused on the walls, then we allow Satan to pillage our hearts of the promises that God extends to us. But if we can turn our gaze to Christ, if we can focus on Jesus, barrier-breaking walls, our barrier-breaking faith will result in victory. Amen. May take a while, but it will. God will defeat our Jericho walls. That's the truth. Not through my own willpower, right? But through my increased faith, He will work. We'll experience victory when we focus, our, our focus comes uh, off the self and circumstance and onto a loving God who is, you know, faithfully walking with us, drawing us into deeper relationship with himself and deeper faith in him. Remember, he's been there with Joshua. That was the promise. It always, right? He's been there through, with him through everything. And he is with us. That is also the promise. I told you I'm going to quote Matthew 28, 18 through 20, the Great Commission, in every sermon, and here it is. When he calls us to go out and make disciples of all nations. What does he say after that? He says, I am with you always to the very end of the age. I'm going to work it in there. <laughs> right? He's faithful even when I am not. He is faithful even when I am not. He had spoken to us before, and now at the very worst time, we look down at the ground, you know, either in despair, you know, or yet in another prayer, asking the Holy Spirit for more help, and, and He stands before us on the battlefield. He shows up. And we look up and we ask Him, Are you on my side? <laughs> Are you on my side? And he replies with his sword in his hand, ready to do battle with the army of angels at my fingertips. I am here to take over. I am here to take over. He doesn't say, yeah, I'm on your side. Right? He doesn't say that. He says, I'm here to take over. This is my world. God is fighting the battle for his own glory, not mine. Not mine, <laughs> right? We're his slaves of righteousness, you know, being made into his likeness for his glory. He can't forsake, you know, us because he can't forsake his own promises to us. He not only, he, he, he's not only fights for us, but for those on the other side of my walls. He's for them as well. Those people that I may have deemed my enemy all throughout life, he is for. He loves all nations, all peoples. How can racist, racist ideology exist in the church? It can't. It cannot. It is totally and absolutely totally foreign to the gospel message. He's for everybody out there. He wants to break down the walls in their lives as well and introduce them to the sovereign king of life, which absolutely changes our perspective on everybody out there and how we view them.
They are loved by God. It's not about me winning arguments or overcoming things and all that stuff. It's about me surrendering myself to Jesus fully. Christ's glory in the world, he's here to take over. Will the victory look like I expect? No. (laughs) Will I definitely have to surrender myself to Christ over and over again? Definitely, yes. And that is healthy spiritual formation leading to sharing Jesus. Healthy spiritual formation leading to Jesus. That was a cry of agreement right there from that baby. Think of the walls in our community. Poverty, devaluation of life. We just had another shooting in Virginia Beach. Do you think those are mistakes? It is driven by the sinfulness of mankind. It is driven by the the humanistic worldview that drives hopelessness and despair. And we have a very different message. Jesus can overcome these things. People aren't the enemy. We're not here to conquer others. We are here to break down walls by faithful, offensive prayer, going on the offensive in our prayer, asking the Holy Spirit what he wants to do in any and all situations as as he uses our imaginative faculties to give us a vision, to speak to us, to give us a promise of the future that we have not yet seen but that we can hope in and then pray that into being and do exactly what he tells us. Will we recognize his divine authority in the battle for our hearts and minds, or will we hold on to our weaknesses and our fears and our pride? Uh, Right? Will we deem even our worldly enemies as those whom God is fighting for as well? Will we answer, as Joshua did, with what message does my Lord have for his servant? He's here to take over. He's here to take control. But in our disobedience, we castrate him of power. We allow Satan to have the last word so often. We take our eyes off of Christ and right back onto the walls. And it's a matter of us needing to develop barrier-breaking faith. God's enough for all of me, even the worst of me. He is greater. He is greater than anything which frightens me or holds me back, and he can conquer it if I respond in faith. And he's going to do so anyway in the end, right? We all know that. But surrender is so much easier, right? It is. And it is so much more adventurous. There are greater stories in faith than in disobedience, than in avoidance. You want great stories? Respond in faith. Walk with Jesus strongly. God's on the offensive. He's moving forward. He's not on the defensive, not cowering in the corner. He's moving forward, taking the promised land, right? Not waiting and guarding. He'll bring us back to deal with our walls, you know, that we've avoided so many times over the past years. But he goes before us in that battle. He walks with us. God told Joshua to take off his sandals, for it was holy ground. You know, we often say that we worship the ground that they walk on, a people that we respect. When Christ showed up on that battlefield, the whole situation changed. The whole atmosphere changed. It was no longer just a battlefield. It was a holy place. The messy, dirty craziness of your life is a holy place. Do we realize 
that the battlefield of our hearts is holy, holy ground. The place where Jesus shows up to take over. A place which deserves like respect and honor. And we should internally bow when Christ approaches just as Joshua did. Do we realize, or will we realize, the very center of us is His to own and do with what He pleases? Or will we hold on to those things which give us fleeting escape or seeking to control ourselves? Are we ready, uh, are ready to give things up? Are we really truly happy uh, standing in front of our walls anyway? No, we're not. We're miserable. We're miserable. There is indescribable joy on the other side of our Jericho walls. We can't, we can't yet see it, right? We, we can't see it. It's, it's just a promise so far. But the Jericho battles are necessary parts of faith life. We have to go through them. We can't go around them. We can't go over them. But Jesus takes us right through them. He demolishes them. He always brings us back to them when, until we respond to faith. So are we going to trust him to knock down the walls we've spent so much time building or to continue to live in worry and fear and instant self-gratification? That's the question for us. Joshua trusted him. The top general, I guess if you would call him, of an army took off his sandals and fell on his face, worshiping in the middle of his own battlefield. The greatest leader is the one that knows how to obey knows how to follow, right? How much easier that should be for all of us, right? The last and final note today is that Christ didn't lay out to Joshua some elaborate militaristic, you know, uh, strategy. He didn't say, you know, if if you like hit the wall just this place, if you throw your spears just right, whatever, all this kind of stuff. He didn't say that, you know, and the city will fall. He didn't say all that. Nor did he give any hint that the city even had a chance, right? The city was never a match for Jesus. He could have taken them down with, without any help from Joshua, right? That's an encouraging thought when thinking about our internal lives or the external situations that we face. Walls are as nothing to the everlasting word. He said to Joshua, see, I've given into your hands Jericho. He didn't say, see, I'm going to give future tense. Rather, I have given past tense, right? No question about it. God had given the city, even while Joshua still stood on the battlefield, before ever having to draw his sword, one week before the walls fell down, it was already in Joshua's hand. It was to be considered that. And that's how we are to regard the future promises of Jesus. In this spiritual battle we wage for our hearts and minds, we've got to remember it's exactly that. It is a spiritual battle, a battle already won. Our hearts and minds already won. That thing which frightens us so much already won. God's already won it. We just need to go take claim of that land as if the walls were imaginary. What's real are the promises of God. What's real are the promises. Joshua could walk up, he could touch those walls, he could knock on those walls. They seemed so real and so strong, so impenetrable. And all he had were God's promises, which may have seemed so ethereal and unreal. 
So what are we going to choose to believe? The walls are the word. The walls are the living word of life. Christ's plan of battle at the time seemed absolutely ludicrous, right? No man, let alone this military, you know, head honcho, would ever have approached Jericho by walking around it, blowing trumpets until the walls fell down. But they did. Truth is stranger than fiction, remember. So when God says to you, come, confess, come to me, sit with me, share your heart with me, be quiet, know that I am God, pray, trust me. It seems ludicrous that just focusing on Jesus, just giving him our stuff, would have any healing power for a broken heart or an overwhelming fear or anything like that or whatever it is that ails you, but it does. It does. We want, we want to do the things that seem so rational, logical, and make sense to us, right? Get all the work done first. Do everything A, B, A, B C, A through Z, right? Uh, you know, guard myself in this relationship. Keep everything at, at arm's length. Don't just sit there. Do something we say. But in the end, we are focused on the wall and not on the word. And when he asks us to do something ludicrous, we say, we, we laugh and we say, it won't work. That'll never work, Jesus. And I always tell people, this church changed. It changed overnight when I implemented prayer shields for all of our leadership. When, when we told every person on leadership, from community group leader to pastoral council member to myself, when we asked them to start like getting people around them outside of the church to pray for them and that they had to update them, this church changed overnight. It was all, this has always been a great church, I always say. It was always wonderful. But it, it, there were all these little relational fires going on that we couldn't argue people through. And suddenly, overnight, all those fires went out. So much unity came back to the church. Just depth of passion and love for each other came back for the, for the church. It was cool. It was really cool. You know, God's word merely read you know, commem- uh, committed to memory can have an incredible transformative power over our minds and hearts when, we, when we're faced with common situ- situations which would usually defeat us, right? A prayer, an openness to allow Jesus to work, Romans 12, 1 and 2, right, can change that in us which we think is unchangeable. It can give us courage to do the things that he's actually calling us to do. So we stand on the battlefield of our lives, looking down at, at, at the dirt, you know, maybe not, not totally helpless, but at least confused and hesitant, right? And Christ stands before us with sword drawn, ready and able to smash those walls in our lives which stand in the way of experiencing life in Christ more fully and bringing it to others. And he's won the battle, right? We just need to respond in barrier-breaking faith. We need to say, what is it that you ask of me, Lord? What do you want me to do? What, what do you require of me? And then do it without demanding explanation all the time. So barrier-breaking faith will tear down walls in our church when, when we, number one, remember that God will never give us a greater Savior than himself, and he will starve us of every earthly means to achieve our church's vision until we turn to him in desperate faith. We rely on him in that. Then number two, that we commit to long-term goals. 
We're not in this for the short game. We are in this for the long game. And we faithfully obey Jesus while trusting him. And number three, that we reject self-effort as our metric. And we realize that God will use a faithful people to bring about victory. Amen. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for your presence here today. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would come and let the words that need to settle on hearts settle well, that they would not dissipate, that you would let the puzzle pieces fall into place where they need to this morning. Some, someone needs, needs to hear one thing while another person needs to hear something else, and myself included. Pray that you would put those things into place for us, that you would let those things that need to sit in our hearts and and bring joy and hope to us. uh, Let them grow. Let them root into us. Let them flourish and bear fruit in us, Father, from what you've said this morning. We thank you for that. Good morning, everyone.